Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Soul Medicine Psychic Podcast. I'm your guide, Bernice Bisson. I have been a professional psychic, medium, and astrologer for 30 years and have read for thousands of people all over the world. Many of those readings have been recorded by my clients. In this podcast, I invite clients back to share their recordings. As we flash back, we get to listen in on some of the original predictions and, in their own words, share some heartwarming stories, a few inspiring outcomes, and some unbelievable accuracies. I invite you to join us for a new journey each episode and come experience a little soul medicine for yourself. Something in the air, always something in the air. This episode, I continue my story of my journey to India. This is a spiritual journey that invited me unwittingly in early 2004 through my work with women's centers to a temple in Manitoba to meet the Sai Baba. I'm a passionate feminist and I've spent 25 years advocating for women's safety and economic security. However, this journey began at a temple in the middle of a chilly November prairie landscape in Manitoba and took me across the world to New Delhi, India, 10 years later, palm reading in small villages and participating in temple prayers and teachings, and having a private audience with the son of the Maharaj in a Gwadara in Punjab, where I had the most glorious spiritual experience that has taken me years to decipher all of its meaning. Also, there might be a bit of a trigger warning at the end of this story for a few listeners because there was a stark contrast in light and dark in the human spirit. And I'll tell you all about that right after this. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Something in the air, always something in the air. Welcome to the Soul Medicine Psychic Podcast with your guide, Bernice Besson. We rewind to May 2014 and an earlier promise made from a client, which was fulfilled with an invitation to India to meet the family of the man in my vision. The catch, though, is that 
we have to be ready in four days to leave. My travel companion said, we got to leave shortly to go to a village near Amritsar to join people from all over the world in temples in the northern India for a global celebration. Now, timing is everything because I had no money. I had no time off or even a visa to get to India. So it seemed impossible. And of course, I said yes anyway. Spirit gave me no room to second guess, in fact. And it felt like a firm kind of guttural yes. Everything came together in a magical way. And I found myself in India on a spiritual journey I could have never imagined. I found myself packing, not knowing what to expect, except the instruction was to bring appropriate clothing, material, you know, coverage, stand the heat, cultural scrutiny, all that kind of stuff. He said my goal was to blend in, not to be noticed, to be quiet and still. Funny, much like the words his grandfather left with me in that earlier vision. Well, the day came and we were flying to Toronto, then on to Frankfurt and then on to New Delhi. We arrived in Toronto and we said we needed to go to the embassy to get a visa for India. He said it usually takes five days, but let's see if we can get one now. We filled out the forms and he looked very leery. My travel companion explained the situation that I must go immediately to India as his grandfather requested my presence and it was a spiritual emergency. He spoke those words in Punjab, but I gather that's what was said and I got approved for a 30-day visa to travel to India. I was amazed and we were scheduled to board that plane the next day. Now, it normally takes five days. I literally had this visa in an afternoon because they understood that a spiritual emergency truly was an emergency. And I didn't know it was at the time. So that was interesting. So we arrived for a stopover in Germany. I'm looking for currency exchange to convert my cash into rubies. My travel companion laughed and said, you're not going to need money. And well, I got my cash stash anyway, ironically, because I'm that girl. But I left India with more money than I actually had on me in that airport that day. So that was interesting too, because money wasn't needed in any way. I exchanged my stay and food and that by palm reading. And so it worked out quite well. We arrived in India and I'm exhausted from the flight, but exhilarated the prospect of stepping my feet down on the ground and beginning exploring the magic of India. The first thing I noticed exiting the bustling airport was the wall of heat. So thick. It took my respiratory system some adjusting. I'm a chubby little prairie chicken and I'm used to extreme cold. So this was the absolute opposite for me. Never have I breathed such hot, humid air in my life. We met up with my travel companion's cousins who are waiting with the vehicle to drive us several hours sort of northwest from New Delhi towards Amritsar. And we settled in a small village to the northwest of Amritsar where my travel companion's sister lived with her family. A few things I noticed immediately on our day's drive from the airport is that you need a driver familiar with driving in Punjab because it's incredibly dangerous. And there's everything on these small little narrow highways from cow herders with their herds to small semi-trucks, families traveling on a motorcycle. And they all share these narrow roads with limited traffic controls. I literally covered my eyes a few times. And there is no nighttime in India. There is no sleep time. India is awake all the time. And everywhere you go, there's people. And so I wasn't used to this. And the other thing I learned very quickly is not to pack any clothes from Canada because the material blends don't do well there. 
and it's cotton or nothing or nice linens from there because the different blends of material makes a huge difference when you're in India. So you may as well just get some clothes from there. And there's so much cannabis growing in India. I really had really no idea. And it literally is long highways, farm ditches, fields. It was amazing. I had never seen something like that. So truly, all those ideas I had as a teenager, there they were. Anyway, his sister was gracious enough to give me two beautiful outfits to wear, some light breezy to blend in. And I literally wore these two outfits my entire stay because I really just blended in. I really did not want to change from these because they really did protect from the heat and it made a huge difference. She dressed me and showed me how to wear the scarf and we had the language barrier, but we understood each other. Her daughter spoke English and was the translator for several days. Otherwise, I said very little. I just observed. But what I did notice was everywhere I went, the young women spoke English because in school they learned English. And so all these young women who were, you know, between the ages of 14 and 20 and all these daughters and sisters of the places that I'd stayed, they tended to be the translators. So that was something else I noticed. I connected a lot with the young women because they were able to speak English. And I was often paired off with the women anyway. So it worked out pretty good. Otherwise, I just said very little and we stayed for a couple of days as they were traveling with us. We headed to another village temple for the celebration. We toured their farmland. I read palms. I took kids ghost hunting in the village streets. Early morning, the day we were leaving for the celebration, a big white peacock landed on a nearby rooftop because India, the villages are a bit of a rooftop villages and you can stand off and see all the other rooftops and this beautiful peacock, I've never seen anything like it, landed on this rooftop and there was communal gardens and communal cooking areas on the ground levels of the courtyards. And the beautiful grandma in the house had made me this cannabis smoothie from her old recipe. And I laughed. I'm like, you have an old recipe? (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. The night before, and I got to say, I'm pretty sure I was high for two straight days on that smoothie. So grandma knew what she was doing. And she said the secret was washing the cannabis six times in really, really cold water that made it come alive. So there was the tip if you're ever making cannabis smoothies in India. Well, we left for the nearby village a few hours, drive away to a main temple of the, uh, the, the Gwadara Maharaj and the Maharaj Persing. So he is sort of the center of this focus, this man who appeared in my vision. And I could not believe I was actually going to be in his temple. And when we arrived, we stopped by a nearby village market outside the first temple to pick up our offering of Kahar Prasad. It's this white kind of little wheat it looks like puffed wheats and that we bring that as an offering. And I believe they use that to make this beautiful, sweet dough that is like a communion when you leave a Sikh temple and you're given this little piece of sweet dough to eat afterwards. And so when we arrived, we stopped at a nearby village market, picked the stuff up. The stone temple was glorious. Upon entry with the marble stone inlaid floors and a large courtyard, tall pillars with long red velvety curtains that flowed with the air movement. It was very open. Atop of the courtyard was a mezzanine of doors to rooms, all with busy with people. You could see a central food hall where they literally fed a thousand people at a time, each sitting, and they would go down long lines like a trough and they would put out the food and people would come by with buckets and fill up your train. You would be able to get in there when it was your group. And there had to have been at least 80 to 100,000 people in this temple. 
And I was amazed by that because I don't think I've been anywhere where there's been a thousand people in one space like that. So it was pretty overwhelming. I think that's the one thing I noted in India because I'm from a sparsely populated area in the world. I was overwhelmed by the number of people. Literally, there was always people around me. Even I think I had one night where I was by myself <laughs> in a room sleeping, which was amazing because otherwise I was really surrounded by people all the time. And I, no one really spoke English except for my travel companion and his son. And so it made it very challenging to be quiet because I, I talk a lot. All my report cards in school will attest to that. So my travel companion's main instructions was for me to be quiet, blend in, and just watch. Basically, stay out of the way and stay out of trouble, B. Just watch. You know your time to talk will be when it's your time to talk. So ironically, this entire trip, aside from me palm reading with a translator, was me being silent. Whom I really had to process that. So I wrapped the scarf tighter around my face and followed along. He went off with the men and I was left with his sister, mom and ladies. And I swear his sister never took her eyes off me, making sure I was okay. She sat me down in the prayer service and I sat there for hours because I didn't know. And I was just absorbing and I was told as I was told, right? And so a gracious lady gave me the salted lemon water, good for dehydration. Although it tasted terrible, it was a relief and I was collected up by the group, and we went to an uncle's that lived nearby, and we were able to wash up and rest for the day's events. Now, this was sort of just the beginning of this, because the introduction to this particular Gwadar was amazing. Day one of what was going to be several days of visiting Sikh holy sites and attending prayers, the day started with 100,000 people gathered, all dressed in white, preparing for this processional over the river into the temple, and I visited the day before. Singing, clapping, jubilant, celebratory energy swept through the crowd. Men in trucks handed out bottles of milk, mangoes, bananas, flowers. There was entire truckloads of flower petals that men would pour onto the crowd like it was raining flower petals on you as this crowd sang and presided down over the river into the temple. It would literally it was out of a National Geographic magazine in my mind. And at the center of this processional was Devinder in a 1950s-style car parting the crowd. And that moment was incredible for me. I had never seen anything like this. And you could see the children playing in the river and the cows sort of drinking along the river and this processional going over the bridge into this was just, it was amazing. And flowers were raining on me. It had arms full as a fruit. And when I finally got into the temple and I sat, I realized my shoes were missing and my camera was missing that I was carrying and they were gone and no explanation. I, we proceeded into the temple where the crowd gathered there and we sat tight and the prayers began. So hung Maharaj Singh Vishnu Bhagwan Deja. Day and night for three days, prayers, holy scripts read, stories of God's glory and of the temple's Guru Maharaj per Singh. So all of this was going on and I didn't understand a single word, but I could see the glory and their faith and their joy through this expression. And it was absolutely profound for me. Over the next several days, we visited six holy sites and Gwadar temples. They're well known in Sikh beliefs and people from all over the world will tour through these through Paris for several days. And I was very fortunate to have this experience. I was raised 
very Catholic. And I was in foster care a good portion of my childhood and raised by extreme religious foster parents as well in Mennonite. So I really didn't have a voice as a medicine woman, as a psychic. I really felt I was on the outside all the time. And when I went to this temple where the Sikh religion, we have this whole other religion that I have no familiarity with at all, accepted me in my spiritual beliefs in the moment I was, I found that really amazing where I was never accepted before. And so that was pretty profound for me because later in this temple, I was in a way adopted as their daughter. And I'll get to that story in a minute. And so I realized I had lost all my stuff and I'm sitting now for hours sort of just absorbing the prayer and trying to understand and observe what is going on. And believe me, as a child, I've sat through Catholic school prayers and through church for what felt like hours too. So I was trying to understand sort of the ritual behind things. And over the next several days as we visited sites, I'm going to talk about each site as best as I can, but really they're really entire episodes on their own. But for the sake of this story, I'm going to kind of condense a few things. But where we began was at the holy site housing Madaraj room, still intact. Another site was a temple near Pakistan border where I received a prophetic message. We also visited one nestled in a mountain village in the foothills of the Himalayas where I was chased by a mountain yak. I've never been chased by a yak before, so that was that was a new experience for sure. We also went to a temple in the Ganga River, and I kind of struggled with what I saw there, and that is really some of the first pieces around the stark contrast between the light and the dark. We also went to an amazing temple and sacred place in New Delhi. I literally could feel joy radiating from the building. It felt so incredible. I've never had that experience of absolute contentment and joy, and it just radiated in that space. And the final place, of course, of most holy site for Sikhs is the Golden Temple in Amritsar. And truly, pictures do not do this place justice. It is not only sacred, but incredibly beautiful. And I'm going to talk about each of those, and they could all be stories on their own. But let's start at the beginning. We're going to go back to the first temple, housing the Maharaja's room. We spent the first three days there, beginning with the beautiful processional of fruit and flowers under the watchful eye of my travel companion, sister and mother. I sat and observed the first day. Silence was my friend and no one spoke to me. As the sun was dropping in into the horizon, the light started to emerge in the temple. There was even more people about and they were all settling into different rooms and sleeping areas and others were still in prayer. Others in the dining area where there was like a thousand people feeding at a time in rolls on the floor. Twelve hours later, suddenly this tiny little lady appears. And I'm pretty short. I'm only five one. So this lady, just this tiny little lady. And people who saw her lined up in the hundreds and began to drop down and kiss her foot and ask for her blessings. Moments later, she came up behind me and encircled her arms in mine and swung me around and said, What are you doing here? Oh my, the first word spoken to me in two days. I said, the vision of the Maharaj Singh brought me here. She said, I understand you lost your shoes and your camera. I was shocked. I asked how she knew that without answering. She said, how much was your camera worth? 
I said not much. It was a single camera, maybe a hundred bucks Canadian. But I had my cell phone to take pictures. So she pulled out $400 American and said, anything you lose, you'll get back four times. She insistently placed the money in my hand and put her arm in mine and took me to her room where she wanted to hear why I was here. I entered the room and it was full of her entourage. She said to tell me exactly what your vision was about. I told her in great detail. And she said she was his daughter and his room is across from us. She took me to it. The room was enshrined and you could not enter, but said, what you told me hasn't been translated yet. And I want you to speak to the temple tomorrow and share what you told me. I was nervous because my travel companion told me just to blend in, not to speak. And so here I am. She's asking me to speak in front of the temple. That night, as I was settling in for some much-needed sleep, I told my travel companion what had happened. And he said, oh, his eyes were wide as saucers. You realize you had a private audience with someone. Did you realize who that was? I did not. You'll be speaking in front of 100,000 people. Oh, my uncle will prepare you. So the next morning, as the ladies and I walked to the temple, we headed over to the area where the uncle was staying. He wrote some words down in Punjab and began to say them slowly, wanting me to repeat it. It was a prayer. I had heard the earlier day. This mantra was to be sung five times. And then I speak to the crowd and close with this mantra five times. I did get up and speak that day. Oh, and ironically, it was recorded and somewhere on YouTube. <laughs> the man who was actually operating the camera was from Winnipeg and used to work at an old TV station, a local TV station called CKND. What a small world, eh? He was actually the man who was the recorder. And it was so nice to meet someone from back home. So the next day went by and with me observing and listening and that evening as the sun was setting, our final evening in this temple, my travel companion said, Devinder wants to meet you. He explained Devinder was his grandparents' family, descendants of the Maharaj of the temple we were in and teachers of this temple. Devinder took me on a tour of the temple, explaining the structure and its meaning, the Sikh flag and of its levels of ascension. And we returned to his perch atop of this temple. As his entourage filled the room, we sat on the floor and he opened this large book and read me the very text I saw that fateful day at my shop a few years earlier. As we returned to our quarters, I was pensive about that teaching, replaying each moment over and over again in my mind. Again, my travel companion said, do you know who you just met? All of this time, the Sai Baba, Devinder, both male and female, who are the descendants of the temple, Gwadar Maharaj, who, the temple I was in. And I didn't know why I was there. Why did you want me there? Why did you ask me to come? That was really my biggest question in all of this is, what was I doing there? Was anything that I saw really that special? Was anything I knew really any different? Well, man, I got to say, I slept hard that night. The next morning, we hit the road to the next temple. This was near Lahore, Pakistan. We can see the lights and hear the noise of Pakistan-India border from the temple entrance. Thousands are gathered with similar order and prayer. I sat and I didn't move. I just observed it became dark and late and I was falling asleep. I lay in my cross-legged position on the floor and a man was coming through and poking us with a long stick to kind of keep the congregates from sleeping in the 
temple prayer area. Oh, but it was so hot. And it was so late. My eyelids were heavy from the long day. Somewhere between sleep and awake, I had this vision, an incredible vision I can only describe as a download. I felt my soul shift up in my body and it stayed there. The prayer, So Hang Maharaj, She Sing Vishnu Bhagwan Dija, chanted in the background and in this vision, a voice said to me, more like a download of knowledge or information, don't go to the United States. I'm like, what? Don't go to the United States. They'll break apart from within. I was about to accept a scholarship with UND and was seriously considering going there at the time. There would be an incredible environmental changes and we are to protect water. The church will fall. There'll be a new understanding of God. And I am supposed to gather the grandmothers and to be in service to advocate to prevent violence against women and girls and just surrender. Now, that's just me describing what literally would be trying to describe, you know, the Sistine Chapel's paintings to you. It was amazing, this vision. When I got back from this trip, I made my friend at the time record everything. It took me two hours to tell her everything in this vision, every detail, everything I saw. But that's kind of the gist of it because it leads into my further path. I felt that soul shift in my body for what, like, it felt like weeks afterwards. I was snapped awake by some men who wanted to talk to me. Men in a temple approaching me? That, that's unusual. What could they want? Again, thinking about the advice of blending in and not, don't talk to anybody. They gathered around me and a man leading the group spoke English and said they heard me speak at the other temple and they wanted me to tell them again, word for word, what I saw and what I said then. So I retold the message from the original vision and how I got here in this particular temple. The man who approached me translated to the others. And after my long, sordid story, he only asked me one question. How did it feel? Reminiscent of the Sai Baba's question, what do I want? This one I pondered. Of all the questions he could have asked me, of all the things he could have wanted to know, it was so odd. All he wanted to know was the feelings I was left with after this encounter with the Maharaj. Ironically, I can be a feeling avoider, but truly, I felt joy, comfort, love, the knowledge of I am and being still and being quiet. It opens the communication with God, your own personal connection. And in my entire life, it was always from the outside in, people telling me about the Bible, people telling me about religion, people telling me and, and never being accepted in those places. And I finally heard something I felt accepted for me. And that was for my gift. And that was really important for me. Just that one question really left a strange taste in my mouth. That night, we left the temple very late and headed to our lodging. The next morning we awoke and all of us crammed into this SUV. Another thing I was not used to. We travel in tens, I'm pretty sure. Now at this point, 
time disappeared. I really couldn't tell the time of day or night anymore. It didn't seem to matter. And India's always awake anyway, so it didn't matter. We traveled north towards the Himalayas with the goal of a temple tucked away in the mountains, bordering sort of Nepal or heading north that way. The Himalayas are magical, breathtaking. Uh, as we ascended the narrow, winding two-way road, which was both frightening and awe-inspiring at the same time, more vertical than even Kananaskis country, which is, I was familiar with the Rocky Mountains. I've been through the Appalachians, but this I have never seen. It was amazing. They were like straight up vertical. The foothills, they just tower. And each ascent and turn in the road revealed new canopies of trees with families of monkeys organized by the roadside, waiting for travelers, you know, to feed them treats, uh, milk cakes and such. Small villages with people carrying out their daily routines, an assortment of bugs I've only seen in textbooks. We stopped along the narrow and steep road at a pull-off to take pictures and to stretch our legs. I have pictures on my social media of my trip to India. So if you're listening to this podcast, I urge you to go check it out on my Facebook and find all my pictures from uh, my trip to India that accompany the story. So there is a great visual, a whole bunch of pictures there that you might enjoy. And so we took those pictures. And now anyone who knows me, I've been chased by several wild animals in my life, bear, moose, deers, elk, dog, goat, and now a mountain yak. He loved me. He wouldn't leave me alone. I actually have a video of it on my social media. And so uh, anywho, uh, back to the vehicle we go. <laughs> but he just would not leave me alone. He just, once he had his eyes, and there was other people all around there. For some reason, he had his eyes on me. And that, that makes sense. And, you know, it's interesting because the yak spirit arrives during times of scarcity or depleted resources. You know, and just when you're about to lose hope, share it, that vision, that that yak spirit shares with us tools to carry us through times of disparity and ensure our survival, even when conditions turned cold and unforgiving. And they did. The next few months after this trip, I had a series of family tragedies and I literally had to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders through that time, right to 2016 and early 2017, in fact. And so that vision was more than just the cow trying to get my attention. It really was telling me you have the strength and resources and tools and everything you need to get through this time, B, you'll see. Because when I returned from India, I literally hit the ground running. And I was so glad my soul was in a great place at that time. So we arrived at this bustling village with a vibrant market surrounding a mountain lake. Now, my travel companions have never been on a boat on a lake. I can't imagine, as me being from lake country, <laughs> uh, we got our chance and... Of course, the daughters, because that's who was, you know, able to communicate with me. The daughters and I rode out to the middle of the lake and they looked a little terrified and excited. We hit the markets with the many kiosks selling goods from Nepal artists and crafters. The temple was humble in its comparison to the others and we only stopped to say prayers and leave some blessings. All I could think of, though, was this temple, was its modest surroundings and it was truly in a cathedral of God. And the teaching is what I saw as I traveled with these families, people expressing sincere love, faith, connectedness, just like the vision that I originally had that brought me here. 
be still, be quiet, my child. My temple is everywhere. And this temple in the Himalayas, like at the foothills, was so simple. But the cathedrals and mountains around it oh, were incredible. And truly, God's footprint was there. We descended the mountain ridge and headed toward the Ganga River and a temple there. Now, I have to say, I struggled with this one a little bit. I was excited to go to the most holy river in the world just to have the opportunity to put my foot in it. I've traveled all over and I've always had the opportunity to put my foot in the ocean or the foot in the water where I am there. And so I was pretty excited about this. And we arrived at this incredible market and midway fair, the type with food carts, rides, games, and it extended into an incredible market of art, artisans and goods. And we walked through enjoying the sights and sounds all leading to this great temple along the Ganga River. My travel companion explained that the people come from all over the world to dip their toe in the holy water at this site. I was so excited. As we approached, she said, because I was a woman, I can only go into a box to go into the Holy River. A box? Literally, women can't be seen in the river. It's not safe. Now, I have to say, I was a little upset by that because you literally have to go into a wooden box and stand in there just to experience that. And because of maybe cultural values, I really wasn't sure, but I just felt like, man, women in boxes feels wrong on many levels. I didn't know where to begin with that, but aren't we all the same in God's eyes? Wow, you know. Now, what really got me is that ascent from the river where the markets were up towards this very ornate and very, very opposite from the Temple in the Himalayas. This one was quite ornate and beautiful, clearly lots of wealth in this particular temple. But what troubled me is as we sent the river toward the very ornate temple, there were paved areas and lots of stairs. The area is lined with children and families living in encampments of garbage, literally sleeping on the path we walked, young ones begging for anything I think. A lot of them dirty, naked, unattended. It really bothers me. It still bothers me. My travel companion could see the look on my face, and we walked over to an ice cream cart and bought ice creams for all the children around us. We emptied the man's cart. I explained to my travel companion what saddened me is that you say millions of people come here to experience the holiness of this temple in the Ganga River. Yet, you want me to step over children sleeping in garbage to do it. I'm still processing that experience. The only thing I took back with me from that village, in spite of the markets, is a little copper pot with some of the water from that river to remind me of what I saw. Us humans have to do better. There are so many nuances about this trip. That would be several more parts of the series in order for me to really elaborate in detail the absolute onslaught of captivating sights, tastes, sounds, people. Each step of this journey reminded me to be quiet, be still, connect. But for now, on to the holy sites of Amritsar. And finally to New Delhi. Oh my, oh, what a city. 
stark in its contrast, alive, never sleeping, bustling, forever sprawling New Delhi. The Golden Temple in Amritsar is not an understatement. Literally, gold, gem, marbles, beautifully crafted and incredibly large. Certainly, a couple of hundred thousand people flowed through the site at any given time. We spent a good part of the day there. And then we visited two other Gwadar in the region and stayed until the wee hours and again the next day. I was fortunate to travel with family who graciously hosted me throughout the trip and we stayed from family to family of family of family. <laughs> Each place we traveled, I read palms with an unofficial interpreter, usually the eldest daughter, of course, uh, who happened to study English in school. So much hope in the young women I met along the way, even more beautifully crafted than the holy sites, was the family connections, cooperation, hierarchy, traditional beliefs, love for each other, faith in God, that I experienced and witnessed for myself in their homes just brought me such a sense of joy and connectedness. Having grown up in foster care, and I needed to see families in joy. It just brought me so much happiness. I had a moment with the son of my travel companion one evening as we sat outside and his female cousins, there were three sisters, and another child kind of shyly off to the side where we were telling stories about our travels around the world and our experiences. And, and I invited the little girl off to the side to come sit, come share a story. The boy of my travel companion piped up and said, well, she can't sit with us. She's a lower caste. My eyes went wild and wide. I said, you're kidding me. A young man as smart and as well-traveled as yourself knows better. His cousins had their eyes silent and down to the ground. I asked the young man to interpret and ask her her best trip she ever got to take was. You know what she answered? The market with her father, who was a worker for this family that we were staying at on their farm. And the highlight trip she's ever taken was to the market with her dad. And all she really wanted to do was go to school. I just wanted the circle I was with to hear her answer. Generational traditions, generational traumas, generational healing. My being was stirred in every moment in India. My most profound teachings were not at the Buddhas. Be still, be quiet, my child. My temple is airy where I am. The village prior to returning to New Delhi, I encountered a medicine man at one of the places we stayed. He came to the village to, to do his services and his practitioner. And through my very uncomfortable travel companion, having to relay my feminine health request of the medicine man, he applied pressure points on my feet and hands and taped magnets in a triangle on my left hand between my index and my middle finger and instructed me to wear it for 30 days to take my sickness away. Well, 72 hours in, I was literally hemorrhaging. I removed the magnets and the hemorrhaging stopped within two hours. This later became a remedy for my cousin who happened into my shop literally about two weeks after I returned from my trip, asking of all things genealogy because she was having feminine health issues, preventing her from pregnancy. And she had a discussion with my sister and apparently found out I had the same issues. 
And remember, I was growing up in and out of foster care. So there was some broken family genetic history here. And so I was able to confirm to her, indeed, that was the case. And I said, you know, it's funny you asked me that because I just had this medicine man experience in India. And I told her about the experience and I gave her the tools he gave me. And I told her what he did to me and I told her to try and he told me to do it for 30 days and it would help. And I told her my intense experience where I had to stop because it was so intense, the medicine that I couldn't do it, especially where I was. And so I gave her the medicine. Well, a year later, I hear a message from her and fast forward, she has her one and only son born to her within a year of me seeing her. I think that was amazing. Was it a coincidence? Maybe. Was it intervention through spirit? Mm, I like to think so. Now, here's a bit of a trigger warning. So one of my biggest teachings occurred the final day of my journey. I talk about this, this darkness between the human spirit, the light and the dark. The final hours, literally, before I left India, in my final day, I was locked in a room and sexually accosted by a police officer in New Delhi. My travel companion's advice ringing in my ears, blend in, it's for your safety. I had no fear and felt safe this entire trip until this moment. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm literally only a few hours from getting on my plane. This can't be happening. The police officer was known to my travel companion and he took advantage of a moment when we were all retired to our rooms. It was the young man who worked for the officer who unlatched the door and let me out. His eyes met mine and he knew what his employer was up to. He led me straight away to my travel companions. I was terrified. I was terrified I'd be detained, not get out of India. I was scared if I said something, he would accuse me of something. If I didn't say anything, he would accuse me of something. I said nothing in fear. In fear, I would be detained. He saw us off to the airport, ensuring my silence. I have a picture of him at the airport with us. I made sure I took a picture of him. The look on his face says a million things in this picture, none of them good. It wasn't until I landed that I was able to confide in my good friend what had happened. I'm still traumatized from the experience. That young man, I think, waited outside my door because he knew something was not going to happen. And he wanted to make sure he would unlock the door. Now, in India, many of the houses are built of solid stone or stone like bricks and the doors are very heavy that lock and so I'm very grateful that he waited by me less than a fortnight from my return there was a news article about two young women from a lower caste raped murdered and hung from a mango tree at the village where I encountered that medicine man I wept and prayed for those young women and ask creator why did you let that happen to them why did you send me to india you showed me light faith spirit 
And then that horrible man, and then this. It stirred me. It stirred me. I had a dream shortly after where a man's voice was in my room where I slept. It awoke me and said, you're supposed to bring the violence of women and girls to everyone's attention. I'm no longer supposed to be quiet or still. I'm supposed to say something. And I'm, I'm doing just that. And Spirit says, I'm only just begun. Well, thank you for listening to the Soul Medicine Psychic Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and found nuggets of wisdom and magic, please leave us some stars and a review or share it with someone you think would enjoy it. If you're a previous client and would like to share your story in the show, please contact us through our website. Until next time, stay safe, stay well. So many years has gone by But I think about you, about you all the time Thanks for joining us. For social media links and to book an appointment with Bernice, visit BerniceBissonPsychic.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Remember, spirit has your greatest good at heart. Your soul is light and you are valued. Looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.